Hospitality Media presents the Mike and Mo Show. Now here are your hosts, Mike Calandrillo and Maurice Moten. Here we are, episode 27 of the Mike and Mo Show. Back at it again. The closing ceremonies of the 2016 Rio Olympics coming up this Sunday. And of course, we'll be talking a whole lot of Olympics. Ryan, blue-haired Smurf Lochte, he's going to be plenty spoken about. Lots going on in the NFL preseason. Mo Moten's been uh, writing tirelessly. His hand is cramping. It's getting ugly. Uh, But there's a ton going on. We're going to have some fun today. Uh, Mo, what's going on? Hit us with the down low. And of course, welcome. Uh, yeah, I mean, as you just said, my hand is, is in a cast right now. Just uh, but we're gonna talk a lot about the Olympics. We're gonna talk about your boy locked in his uh his um frivolous story, his his silly story, I should say, and the cover up that's behind it. Mm-hmm. Gonna talk a little bit about the NFL and their and their witch hunt, and of course, we're gonna end with RG three girlfriends and tattoos. Okay, so all right, all right. It should be a fun show. But we're gonna take it back to the Olympics. Um. I don't know if you guys remember, but a couple of episodes ago, I said, "Meh, not really interested in the Olympics too much." Uh, I didn't, I, I didn't realize how fascinating it would be. Of course, you had these same bolts here, the Michael Phelps. You know, they're entertaining because everyone knows Usain Bolt. Someone even said Usain Bolt is is as popular as Bob Marley in Jamaica, which I beg to differ on that. But uh, a lot of new names came up. Uh, I didn't know Simone Biles before before this Olympics came through. Uh, Allie Reisman's another name I didn't know. Some may have. If you're into gymnastics, maybe you know both of them. Yeah, I knew, I, I knew, know their names. I knew them both. Uh, of course, yeah. yeah, of mm-hmm. course you did. Mm-hmm. But uh, there's a lot, there was a lot of interesting things for this Olympics, and, and I take back my statement that the Olympics were boring. And it took me back to the days when I watched it as a kid, and I watched racing and uh, hurdles event, swimming. And I, again... Olympics is uh, very entertaining this year. It's not over yet. Still a lot to come. But uh, a lot of women, a lot of African-American women uh, made history. You had uh, Simone Manuel, first African-American woman to win the individual swimming gold. Uh, you had interesting moments. Shawnee Miller diving in front of Allison Felix in the 400 meter. You had Michelle Carter, first U.S. woman to win the shot put event. Uh, Monica Puig, first uh, woman to win gold representing Puerto Rico. Katie Ledecky, four golds, three individual and one relay at 19 years old. So again, a lot of a lot of snapshot moments, a lot of interesting things, uh, a lot of uh, hair raising moments during Olympics, and it, it, I'm gonna miss it actually. I, at first, I said, you know, it's gonna come and go. I'm not gonna really care too much about it. I compare this to the Golden State Warriors. Now, hear me out on this one. A lot of people say, well, I'm not gonna watch the NBA season because the Golden State Warriors. We all know they're gonna win. The NBA title. And I say that's that's a little crap because you guys are going to watch, first of all. And it just reminds me of me when I said, you know, I'm not going to watch the Olympics because it's going to be pretty boring. You know, I, I don't know a lot of these people. I'll probably watch Usain Bolt, Michael Phelps, and that's about it. I was wrong. Again, a lot of a lot of women made history. A lot of snapshot moments that I, I could say I, I watched them live. From, from my couch. <laughs> but I watched them. And again, I'm, I'm going to miss the Olympics. 
Mike will probably say, yeah, I told you so. I did. But yeah, he, he was right about this one. Mm-hmm. As always, do not be surprised. It, it's been amazing. Uh, U.S. women are amazing. Girl power doing doing uh, huge things. It's been it's been so fun to watch. You spoke about the young woman who actually threw herself across the, uh, the finish line, which I, I can only say, ow, that must have hurt because that ground looked really hard. But that is dedication. That is what it is all about. I mean, once every four years, we don't we don't speak about these athletes in that light. They're, you know, they're not basketball players. They're not football players. You know, they're not in the they're not on ESPN every time we turn on the TV. And you know, maybe they should be. It's unfortunate it's just not in the national conversation the way it is. Uh, but once every four years. For two weeks, you got to enjoy yourself. And I'm, and I, I really always do look forward to it because it's something different. You know, I wouldn't necessarily want to watch gymnastics or swimming whenever it's just it's on because oh, it's a college, you know, sport. But no, no. When you get to see the best of the best, the Michael Phelps, the, the Katie Ledeckis, the Usain Bolts, I mean, it's just it's something to marvel at because, again, these, this may never happen again at all in our lifetime. So you got to really relish what you're getting to see. And just put your hands together because it, it is. It's a lot of fun. It's exciting. And I can't wait for two years to see the Winter Olympics because at least it's something different. It's not the same old tired story that, oh, I'm not going to watch it because the Cavaliers are going to win and then blah, blah, blah. Like, no, no. You don't. You never know. Like, did anybody think that, that Degrassi from from Canada would even give Usain Bolt uh, a run in the 200-meter semifinal? Heck no. But... He did, and and this might be the next guy to potentially become that Usain Bolt character, yet that larger-than-life type of entity, because who know, who knows if Usain Bolt even comes back in four years. I mean, he'll only be, what, 33 at the time? But 33, you know, as a, as a runner, is like 45 as a regular person, so anything is possible. But yes, Mo, I'm glad you're loving it. Um, you know, you finally have come to, to the smart side of things, so um, I'm just very proud of you. You know what it was? I, I figured that I would be so consumed with the NFL preseason and training camp that I really wouldn't Boring. be in the Olympics, that yeah. I'd be writing and, and, you know, doing what I do best, sure, you know? Sure, sure, sure. But, but actually, like I said, I, at night, a lot of times I'll catch the replay because they actually play over the events after, I believe, after midnight. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And and a lot of events I catch, and I'm like, wow, this is, you know, this is, this is captivating. I watched Usain Bolt yesterday win. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the 200 meter, and I I watched. Actually, I should I shouldn't have neglected that. I actually watched the 100 meter hurdle for the for the women. Yeah, Rihanna, Rihanna Rollins, Nia Ali, and Kat, uh, Christy Castlin swept for the U.S. women first, second, and third gold, silver, bronze in that event. So I I was captivated by that, and I joked on Facebook a, a couple of days ago, and I said. Back in my day, I was pretty fast. So, in a buddy of mine, we used to race people, and this is a true story. We used to race people back in the day, and, and we would wake up in the morning, and people would, would come to our door and knock, and they would say, would you race such and such? And we'd be like, all right. So, we would, you know, eat a good breakfast, have our Cheerios, our Apple Jacks, get ready. We would go out, and we'd race these people, and it wouldn't be like 100 meters, but we would race like to one point, point A to point B and back, or whatever it was, and and back then, we thought we were Usain Bolt before Usain Bolt, before people knew who he was. Because you got to remember, I'm a little bit older than Usain Bolt. I believe he's 28, 29 years old. So before you guys knew who he was, I was racing people in the projects. And it was pretty fun. And like, I, I joked with my buddy, and I said, now imagine if we had kept going, if we had not become a writer, and he's like this huge bodybuilder now. Imagine if we had kept running. Where would we be? Would we be on 
you saying Bolt's level? Of course, that sounds silly now because we, we see what he's done on the track field. But uh, he's 6'5", and he has super long legs. And if you've listened to the show, you know I'm about 5'8 and a half, and I don't have the, the, the leg length as, as he does, but I was moving him pretty fast. So I don't know. Maybe I should, you know, get back into shape, do some calf raises, do some lunges, some weighted lunges, and get back into it. Maybe... Maybe I'll show up for the Tokyo Olympics in 2020, Mike. Maybe we'll have to do the show live from Tokyo. Just look out for that. Oh, man. Mo Moten is the uh, Tim Tebow of the track and field world. (laughs) (laughs) Well... Basically, so you're saying I'm going to be super successful, but people are going to hate on my success. Uh, Something like that. Yeah, absolutely. You know what? More power to you, Mo. Well, that is it for the cold open. We'll be right back. Open mic. Well, if you haven't heard about what Ryan Lochte and company have done by now, then good for you because you've avoided the stupidity of the nation. But it is something that is still going on. Um, it, it's something that seems to be taking on a life of its own. Obviously, Brazil is very adamant that they wanted this Olympic Games to go off without a hitch. They did not want, you know, anything to happen or anything to tarnish the name of the games or the people of Brazil with everything that happened pre-games about, you know, dirty water and and crime and, and anything that could possibly be said about Brazil was done in a negative light. So everything was really going off without a hitch for the most part up until about what, four days ago. And then this story came out about Ryan Lochte and his young buddies going out for a night on the town and supposedly being held up at gunpoint while they were riding in a cab. Well, stories come to light, and it turns out it's not as so. So, Mo, what what went on? And before I tell you how I feel, just break down break down how bad that this has gotten, or or are we just overreacting as a nation? Of course, I I don't think we're overreacting only because of how this how this went down and how and how that country is dealing with it right now because it starts off as oh this is a sad story because we we already know that in Rio there's you know there's the stuff that we see on TV that's great it's amazing amazing scenery for the aesthetics and then there's the other part of Rio that's the poor poor parts and Carmelo Anthony actually went to the favelas uh, during his break and he actually played basketball with the people in, in the impoverished neighborhoods but back to this story there is another side that we don't see, and there are things that happen where people do get robbed. We've heard stories where people are, you know, pulled out of their car or whatever it is, and, and money's taken from them. But with Ryan Lochte, he, first of all, <laughs> he and his uh, swimmer buddies go, they're out, obviously, and I believe they felt that they were getting, they were going to get in trouble if they told the real story, but apparently they were caught on camera. And they basically vandalized a gas station, and one of the swimmers actually urinated on the premises. Now, I'll take this back to when we were kids. When you were out and you did something, let's say you're, I don't know, between the ages of of 10 and maybe 15, and you go out and you do something that you shouldn't be doing, and your parents ask you, well, where were you? The first thing you do is try to, you know, diversion, divert the attention over to something that may have happened to you that didn't happen to take to take the onus off your shoulders. So you say, okay, yeah, I was out late, but this happened. Oh, I was, you know, I got into a fight or or someone someone helped me at knife point or something like that. So now your parents are like, oh my God, you were late, but really this happened? And you're like, yeah, I was held at knife point or gunpoint. And 
he they demanded my money and, and took my book bag or took my sneakers or something like that. And you don't you come home without shoes and you concoct this story so that you get sympathy instead of blame. Sure. And that's basically what happened here with Ryan Lochte. He basically and and for him to be the guy who's basically the, sh- the chaperone of this group, Ryan Lochte is thirty two years old. Gunnar Benz is twenty. James, uh, sorry for mispronounce his name Fagan is 26 and Jack Conger is 21 so I found it ironic that the guy who's oldest goes and tells the biggest story that turns out to be he's holding on to his story by the way as early as this morning he goes he should have handled the situation a lot better but he said it is scary when you're in a foreign country with a language barrier and, and you know held at gunpoint for your money so he's not recanting his story he's saying he should have handled it better as far as what I guess what they did on the premises as far as uh, vandalizing the premises and urinating on it. But he's not taking back his story about being held at gunpoint. And I think it was pretty weird when he told the story when he said, well, the guy pointed a gun to my head and he's like, get on the ground. And I'm like, whatever, dude, I didn't do anything. <laughs> I'm just like, who does that? If Superman. You, if you have a person with a gun to your head, you're going to act kind of like, oh, whatever. Well, I'm not worried. I've, I've seen worse. Well, you know, it, I've been through this plenty of times. I've been. This isn't my first rodeo, okay? So I'm not scared. And I just found that weird from the beginning. But I said, you know what? It, there are stories that this stuff does happen. Maybe he's just a brave dude and not afraid to die. All power to him. But when the when the specifics came out, and it turns out that this story seemed kind of flimsy, especially when his swimmer buddies kind of, I guess, gave uh, other stories that didn't that didn't confirm what he said. You started fishing around saying, did this really happen? Is he telling a tall tale? Should it Was it just them doing something they shouldn't have done and him concocting the story to divert the attention so that he gets sympathy instead of blame? And I think that's what's happening here. Uh, Ryan Lochte, obviously, he, he again, he's remorseful about this, but he's not recanting his story, which I think is pretty odd. The IOC said these kids were just having fun. That may be true for, for Gunnar Benz, James Fagan, and, and John Conger, but Ryan Lochte is 32 years old, not a kid. If I go outside right now and I start urinating on a premises and I'm pissy drunk, they're not going to say, well, this is just a kid who made a bad decision. No, dude, you're a grown-ass man. Live up to your mistake. Just say you lied, and I'm sorry. Pay, pay whatever fines they want you to pay for damaging the premises and move on. A couple things. I'm going to take the other side of the coin, and I'm actually going to defend Ryan Lochte oh for a my moment. Oh, goodness. Yeah. Really? Well, because... He must have been out on a, on a wild night. This is, this is what's going? <laughs> well, no one, no one is taking Ryan's side, understandably, to a certain extent. But let's look at it from a not-so-bright individual's perspective. Okay? He is 32. He dyed his hair platinum blonde, not realizing when you go on chlorine, it's going to turn your hair blue. Okay? There's that. Now, the thing is, like you said, you're in a foreign country. Okay? You're doing something stupid. You're trashing a bathroom. Not cool. But the thing that I totally have a problem with is the fact that it seems okay in everyone's eyes in the country of Brazil, which for all intents and purposes is a third world country, for a security guard, not a cop, to pull a gun on few people, people that he knows are not Brazilian citizens, that obviously are American because you can hear English coming out of their mouth. Now, the Brazilian authorities basically said that they understand and they were okay with the security guard pulling a gun to keep rowdy athletes in line. Um, I'm sorry, but that that can't be because if that happens in the United States of America, we we have 
riots in the streets. We have CNN all over the place. Now, don't get me wrong. I understand that this is a third world country, but that it, for them to justify the fact that I pulled a gun on people because they were basically breaking my property seems a little much in my eyes. So I understand the fact that these guys were probably super scared. And obviously they did pull their, their, uh, their, their IDs and their wallets out because maybe they thought they were being robbed. Who knows at that point? Because if you are intoxicated and you are in a, in a totally different part of the world, you really don't comprehend what's going on. Now, to put it all into to one big nutshell, Ryan Lochte says that there's three minutes of tape missing from the supposed surveillance tape. And I saw the surveillance tape, and there are a lot of cuts and glitches. And would I put it past the authorities from another country to take out any incriminating evidence that would put them in a bad light? Hell no. But again, the narrative right now is all on Ryan Lochte. And, and honestly, Buddy was pretty smart when he got out of plane as soon as possible and got the hell out of Dodge because... His boys are still in Brazil, and obviously they gave him up to a certain extent, but why are you still in Brazil when the games are over? And, and, and they're not technically over till Sunday. Your events are over. So if you did something stupid and you decided to stick around because you just wanted to hang out on Copacabana Beach and maybe go to the uh, closing ceremonies, then, yeah, then it just shows how dumb you are because maybe you think you're above the the law or that this was just going to go away but i just there's a lot of inconsistencies in the story i don't i obviously ryan Lochte and company are, are wrong because they they fabricated and, and it is a it is a law in brazil you can go away to jail for three years for uh, filing a false police report uh again which seems a bit much but again this is a different company i our country i've seen locked up abroad i don't want to go to jail there i don't want to go to jail here so uh it's just something it's really unfortunate it puts a little bit of a black eye on on a great games and the u.s dominating the medal count but again it's ryan lochte if you've ever seen seth mcfarland do the ryan lochte impression on saturday night live it's hilarious because he looks a little disturbed and you know Seth MacFarlane says it's so weird I'm so cold I don't I'm not used to being out of the water like that's the way Ryan Lochte thinks he's just for whatever reason he's got too much water on the brain and he decided to go with this story I understand to a certain extent that there's guns involved lives are in jeopardy did he say go ahead bro put it to my <laughs> put the gun to the, my head and pull the trigger maybe maybe I mean he's again half a brain uh, intoxicated anything's possible but uh i don't think anyone is in the right i think i think this kind of needs to just go away because it seems like we're pulling people off of planes we're trying to extradite people back to the country like let's get a grip no one got killed no one was no one did anything you know that is going to alter foreign policy but uh brazil obviously has a little bit of a uh, man crush on these guys they want these people to to pay either financially or they want some kind of retribution to show hey hey brazil is not that bad a place when you know what you've got bigger issues in brazil than uh, a couple american swimmers lying about what may or may not happen one night so so are you giving these guys specifically like they pass because he's of a lesser i guess you expect <laughs> less of him is that what it is well we in the, we in this country do obviously uh, you it, you can't in a court of law say the guy's a moron so it is what it is but no i mean i do personally am giving him a pass because we know his we know what he is capable of but again like you said 32 years old he was a bit of a chaperone but also these swimmers knew like hey ryan lock he's probably gonna get us some girls or whatever they want to get into in brazil he's a happy girl like you kind of guy not really worried about consequences and whatever happened happened who know you know it, it, it went down it's not a pass but 
but you almost knowing Lochte's story and where he came from, it's you you expect this to. It's like Terrell Owens. You expect you know what you're gonna get. You're only surprised if it goes other the other way. And I was honestly surprised. Nothing happened before this. Like when he you know was in the relay with Michael Phelps and they won the gold and everything seemed kind of copacetic. I was like, oh wow, great. Maybe Lochte's growing up. Clearly, not so much. But I think I think it's time to put this to bed. Pay the fine. Let these guys go back home, keeping them in a Brazilian either hotel or in a, in a weird uh, interrogation room. It's all just kind of out of like a really cheesy 1950s detective story. So let's uh, let's put it to bed. Let's move on and let's concentrate on the the good things, the, the positive aspects of the game. Like my man, Usain Bolt. Mo, he is phenomenal. Yeah, he he is. And again, I watched I watched his I watched his race yesterday, and it was it was fascinating when he and DeGrasse were running neck and neck the day before, I believe it was, when he kind of waved his finger because I believe DeGrasse was supposed to slow down as as uh, Bolt did. But it was interesting to see, and people are arguing to say, or and I believe you brought this up last episode, who's more impressive, Usain Bolt or Michael F- Michael Phelps, who's who now say he's given up his Olympic career and he's not coming back for Tokyo in twenty twenty, who has. 23 gold medals. When you compare the two, first of all, I'll say they're both great in their own in their own way. Of course, Michael Bolt on ground, Phelps in water. But I think people identify more with Bolt because he's he's running on ground, and we can all run. We're not all fast, but we can all run. Not all of us can swim, so people may not be able to identify with a, a fast swimmer or swimmer of Michael Phelps, uh, Ilk, who's on a platform of his own. But when you compare greatness, that again, they're both great. But I think people uh, identify with fast runners more than fast swimmers because sometimes, just like me, at one point, maybe you were a fast runner and you thought you could have been Usain Bolt before Usain Bolt. But again, as you say, great feet, one hundred meter, one to two hundred meter. That's I believe his eighth career gold medal, and I, I actually hope he comes back. I want to see him come back because when I watch him. And I told uh, a relative this. It seems like he's gliding across the track when he runs. And, again, that's those long legs, those long strides that get him through. And he, he breaks the sweat, but it doesn't seem like it's hard for him to break, in, break into a, a big lead when you watch him run. I have a question since you seem to be Mr. Track Shack. Um, is, it, is it customary to slow down before the, the finish line? Because I would think you would want to pull through and then slow down after because why, why would you want to – make that you know make that time go any longer don't you want to get through the line and, and break a record i don't because even in the 200 semifinal, he bolt slowed up and it allowed degrassi to basically tie him if not go ahead like, i just don't understand why you wouldn't push through to through the finish line see that, that part i really need to look at because when i ran back in the day it was no holds barred yeah. no one was slowing down by the finish line but i guess it's it's an ethics thing it's a customary thing that they should slow down right before it i, I have no idea what that's about but like you said logical say if i if i'm close to breaking a world record or if a guy's on my heels i want to speed up and i don't know if you saw this but justin gatlin actually during his during his run yeah. he actually looked over and he he didn't qualify because I, apparently the the top two only qualified into into the main round. But yeah, cost he looks over and he go and he gets third place and it's like okay he didn't he didn't necessarily slow down toward the end but he looked over and it slowed him down and he went up not qualified. Well, so I don't, yeah, he not said it was because of his uh, his calf calf yeah, had tightened I, up yeah, on I, the turn. I'm not fine. No, neither am I. I. I believe he you know I believe he made a mistake. He, yeah. he felt someone gaining on him. He made the mistake of looking over because you heard the announcer say it he said when you're running 
even when you're swimming with Michael Phelps, the guy who was looking over at Phelps, you never look over at your competitor. Pay attention to your lane. Pay attention to what you're doing. And if you finish, you finish wherever you first, second, third. But you never look over because that that takes some time off your race, off off the clock, and it gives other people behind you a chance to catch up. Isn't it funny, though, that we as a nation, you know, and, and people all around the world love Usain Bolt, but he is basically Terrell Owens with people skills. Like, he is just as arrogant, he's just as flashy, but because he, because he, you know, does things like he did the other day when, he, after his race, he actually turned around and acknowledged the U.S. Uh, anthem going on, he stopped there, he stopped his interview, because he does things like that, and because he's kind of happy-go-lucky, and, you know, he's not, he's not just, he's not mean, he doesn't have that mean streak in him, even though, you know, he's still doing the dab, and he's doing all these different things, we like him, it, it's just so funny to me that, Terrell Owens was both, but missing that little key personality trait. You also have to understand that Terrell Owens, he comes off more as a me guy. I mean, think about it. We talked about it before. The Olympics happens, you know, for, you know every four years. And you see Usain Bolt do his thing. But we see Terrell Owens every Sunday pull some antic with a Sharpie. He's standing on the star, and it's played over and over again. I think it has to do with the media spin of it, because I believe... Yeah. See, as you said, we embrace him. And when we saw Terrell Owens, people say, oh, he's he's so self-centered, he's so arrogant. But I think when Bolt does it, it comes off as he's joking. And when Terrell Owens did it, it was kind of like, oh, this is, you know, he's a narcissist, you know? And he's he's had repeated actions. And this is this is what happens. This is what happens when you go into the media and, and people just pick and choose favorites. And as you said, uh, Bolt has a little bit of ego to him too, but I don't think it's, it's categorized as arrogance. It's more of a playful, full ego, whereas whereas T.O. it was more nefarious in certain types of ways. Yeah. I, and the whole star thing, if you're a Dallas Cowboys fan, you didn't like that. At least Usain Bolt, he shows respect to other countries. Troy Owens runs to, runs to the star, and that's, that's kind of like a form of disrespect. But then he went and played for Dallas, so... Yeah, so it meant defenses, but he didn't bring a championship there. But No uh, one brings a championship to Dallas. Final base quarterback, too. Yeah. But um, real quick, I know this is, again, this is a touchy subject in America, but Ellen DeGeneres uh, tweeted out a photo of her on the back of Usain Bolt. And, of course, the, the Twitter fiends, mm-hmm. uh, the, the race baiters, went crazy. And, and I'll, I'll say race baiters because in this situation, I don't think it was malicious. No. Obviously, she tweeted a photo with her on his back to say, okay, if I want to get my errands done quick, this is what I'll do. I'll hop on the back of the fastest man in the world, whether he was white, black, Asian, you know, Hispanic, whatever. It was just a joke saying, I, I want to get my stuff done quicker. And people took it as, oh, this is a white woman on a black man's back, and they're tweeting photos in, in the 1820s of, of, you know, white people on the backs of African Americans. And I'm like, hold on, people. Let's... Let's take this, let's put this back into context. Ellen DeGeneres is not a racist. She had him on the show yeah. recently where he raced the kid and he lost the race. And it was pretty fun. It was a lighthearted moment. So I think people just take an isolated photo or moment and they take it way out of context, blow it way out of proportion, and then connect it to something, you know, so, so disgusting. And I believe we, you know, the people who are identifying Ellen DeGeneres as a racist are really reaching, like, reaching like yeah. boxing reaching and i'm like this is this is this doesn't fit and I, and I watched i don't watch her show i've seen bits and pieces of it in passing 
but I, I, she identifies herself as a comedian and a TV producer, obviously. Sure. So she was trying to be funny. And it's the same as when you go to a comedy show and they make, obviously they're going to make, they're going to make racist jokes. Would you say, oh, this person is racist? Would you say George Carlin is racist? No, let's not take it that far. You ha- Again, you have to look at the context. If Donald Trump posts this photo, it's much different than if Ellen DeGeneres does it. Mm-hmm. So people calm down with the whole race thing. Not every, everything is not about race. Yeah, you know, exactly. some, some, sometimes it does apply. In this situation, it really does not apply. If you if you followed Ellen, she she hasn't shown a pattern, a malicious pattern of this. It was just a lighthearted joke. People relax. R E L A X. Chill. Just chill. People enjoy the Olympics. It's supposed to be fun. Yes. It's supposed to be fun. And I, I saw the comment people saying, well, why does she put Photoshop herself in a NASCAR doing her, her errands? And I'm like, well, NASCAR isn't it's part not, of the Olympics. Yeah, it's not relevant. Not relevant. It's not relevant right now. Obviously, Usain Bolt was the talk of the Olympics at that moment, so she made a joke of it. It's like when, when these stupid award shows, not stupid, but when these award shows come on and a stupid moment happens or somebody does something crazy and all of a sudden they become an internet sensation and people are using the photo for different things. It's the same thing in this situation. She just used it in a lighthearted moment. Again, just chill, relax. For real. And then let's uh, let's put a bow on my cousin Michael Phelps real quick. It's your cousin. What? I, I, cousin. Did I say that? I'm sorry. Um, my best friend Michael Phelps, let's put a bow on, on him real quick. Last week we talked about how he broke uh, Leonidas of Rhodes' 2,000-year-old record. Another really cool uh, bit of history for you guys out there. Now it's 23 golds all time. That is 150. Uh, there's 150 nations that he has more golds than in Olympic history. 150 nations ever he has more gold. So so uh, just, you know, marinate on that real quick because that, that is really impressive, and it was cool. He actually did take the time at the end. And like I said last week when I got on that young woman, I forget her name at this time, about speaking out about doping and, and throwing your teammates under the, under the bus. Lily King. Yes, Lily King. Lily King. Sorry about that. Uh, Phelps actually said that dopers should pay a price. He spoke to Pat Forty of Yahoo Sports and said somebody needs to speak up. Now, that's pretty much all he said. He didn't get in depth, but again, he waited till he was complete, till the games were over, and then he could address the subject. So again, I'm just so glad to call him, you know, my best friend. I think he's great for the sport, and I can't wait to see him at my wedding. Not gonna happen. Sorry, Mike. I'm not buying the cousin best friend no. angle. I, if he had won one gold medal, would he still be your best friend? Yep, because cousin? his name is Michael, and we gotta stick together. Okay, right, sure. Uh, I, I, after the show, I, I'm assuming you're going to give your, your cousin slash best friend a call and you guys are going to party it up or no, something? No, we're not that close. We're not that close. Not that, one of those distant yeah. best friends? Long distance best friends? Long, yeah. long distance. What about, what about LeBron James coming out this week and saying that he is still open to being an Olympian in 2020 in Tokyo. He basically came out and said, every time I watch him, meaning Team USA, I wish I was out there. I did not retire from Team USA. I just did not play this summer. So I left the door open. Um, okay. So he's basically going to be, what, like 34-ish? 36. 36? I mean, again, his, his 35, 36 is better than most 24s or 25s. But is he is he serious about this? And if so, why the heck did he just go to Brazil? He could have played like six minutes a game, like my man uh, Harrison Barnes. <laughs> well, first of all, 
LeBron will be turning 36 that year. He'll be 35 in, during the competition because it is in the summer. His birthday is, is in December. Mm-hmm. But I think he was serious, but I don't think he realizes how his body is going to feel four years down the line when he's carrying these Cleveland Cavaliers to at least maybe one more championship. He's the most important person on that team. He, he usually now, I would say in recent history, he's coasted through the season. I mean, he plays... But he doesn't give his full all-on all on until the postseason. And by then, he's beat. He's super tired. I mean, he plays a lot of minutes. He's, he's the main guy on the court for either team. So I don't see him participating in Tokyo in 2020 because all of that wear and tear carrying that team, why would you want to play Why would you want to play in the Olympics? Of course, you want to represent your country, but I don't think his body would be built for that type of punishment. And, you know, a couple extra rounds. Of course, yes, you're going to have a couple of easy games to play and you could play maybe 15 20 minutes but i just don't see i just don't see the point at, at 36 years old 35 years old doing it especially the biggest thing you're going to do if you're lebron james is deliver a championship to cleveland which he's already done so unless unless the 2020 team is, is stocked and he can play he can just have a cameo and play 10 minutes i don't see the point true or false an olympic gold medal or three in carmelo anthony's um way of thinking is it above an nba title uh, okay me personally answer this question mm-hmm. i would say i would say they're equivalent okay why why, why? because why? I, i'm gonna I'm, i know i'm straddling the fence here because you got deandre jordan saying gold medals above it and metal saying well i would be okay with just winning a gold medal if I don't win an NBA championship. And I agree with what Melo is saying is that, okay, the NBA championship, you're you're competing against Americans and you want to bring a title, especially to a franchise that hasn't won in over 40 years. You want to bring a title back there. But if you win a gold medal, you're, you're an Olympic gold medalist. Like, how many people can say, yes, I'm an Olympic gold medalist? That is something that deserves high accolades. People are... And I don't get why... If you look into ESPN and you look into a lot of these sports shows, they're saying, how dare these Olympians say a gold medal is much better than the NBA championship title? And I'm like, well, wait a minute. You're an analyst. You're, you know, you're a journalist or whatever. How can you tell these athletes what's more important to them? Oh, no, that's that should be more important to you than that. And I, I believe that's wrong, first of all. And I, and I take Mel's stance saying, look. If I go through, let's say, a 15-year NBA career and I don't win an NBA title, but I'm a three-time gold medalist, if I'm a if I'm a one-time gold medalist, I'm saying, you know what? At least I was a gold medalist. I accomplished something. I won something. I was the best at one point in the world at what I do. Now, if I win an NBA championship and won gold medal, I would say, oh, they're they're both pretty much equal in my in my eyes because I was the best in the world. And I was the best within my country, among the best athletes. So you can have the best of both worlds. But if I had to pick one, 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 I, I would probably choose an NBA championship because, after all, I'm going to be in America. At, you know, I would presume I'm going to live my life in America. I can say I'm an NBA champion. But if I'm a gold medalist, it's kind of like, yeah, I want a gold medal. And they're like, well, what team did you play for? You play basketball? I'm like, yeah, I played for the Knicks. Did you win a title? No, I wasn't able to win a title. So that would be kind of disappointing. At least I can say, you know, because America's going to ask you what team you play for and did you bring home a championship? That's going to be the most important thing. So I would want to say yes to that. But, it, you know, as far as accolades go, they're pretty much an equal level. Yeah, is, is it easier for DeAndre Jordan and Carmelo Anthony to say this because they haven't or may never win an NBA title? 
That's another thing. It also depends on where you are in your career. If you're LeBron James and you're coming back to the Cleveland Cavaliers, you can't say something like that. You have to say, look, I have to win one for where I'm from. I'm from Cleveland. I'm playing for the Cavaliers. That, that, that's above everything. It, it all depends on who you are and where your career is. Because let's say you're, and I don't know, pick a random person. If you're uh, Courtney Lee, right? And Courtney Lee wins a gold medal. I think Courtney Lee would say that gold medal is important to me because I'm I'm a role player at best. And an NBA championship, if a team wins an NBA championship, it's not because of me. But if you're a superstar who can move the needle and you're the main guy in your squad and you can bring a team to a championship, I believe then an NBA title is more important to you because it, it revolves around you. Basically, the team's success revolves around what you do on the court. If you're a fringe player, if you're, you know, I guess a sixth man off the bench, then you may say, you know what, a gold medal is just as important because if my team wins an NBA title, it's not solely because of me. First of all, I'm surprised you said Courtney Lee and not Evan Turner. So congratulations. Stop it. The classics are working. Evan Turner is great, right? He's great. He's fantastic. Shout out to Evan Turner following us on the uh, Mike and Mo Twitter page. Doing big things, yeah. my man. I'm coming around on you now. Six or seven more years, I'm on that bandwagon. Um, you need to be on the bandwagon now. Only okay? if he comes on the show. Follow- he's following our show on yep. Twitter. Shout out to Evan the Burner Turner. I, you know, I always believed in you. I, ble- I, I have my rankings. My port, my Portland Trailblazers. My Portland Trailblazers. Most new favorite team. Yep. First of all, does, does anybody ever call him Evan the Burner Turner, or is that just you? Yeah, that's just me because okay. we're buddies. Yeah, let's keep. Right? Let's keep it. Oh, 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 you can be buddies with Evan Turner, but I can't be related to Michael Phelps. You're a hypocrite. No, because Michael hypocrite. Phelps is on a whole other level, and you're oh, Mike Kelly. You heard that, Evan? He's he's throwing you under the bus, but man, you're no Michael Not, Phelps. No, I'm just saying. No. I'm just saying that I'm no. great at what I do, just like Evan the Burner Turner is great at what he does, and he's gonna bring Portland toward the vision title. Ooh, I, you know, that's we'll lofty. get into that a lot because. Ooh. That's a whole other story, but he yes. will bring Portland to the division title. But anyway. Lofty goal. What, like, getting back to my point, uh, I think it's the fact that you need to – we're here in America. We live here. We're born here. We'll die here. We need to take it out of the equation for a minute uh, that the NBA is the NBA, that it's the greatest basketball league in the world because it is, and it's the greatest talent collection of talent in the world, and it's an 82-game grueling schedule and then playoffs. But like DeAndre said, it's every year. This Olympic Games is once every four years, and it's the greatest players, give or take, in the world that come together. Now, again, we beat the heck out of Argentina the other night, and I saw guys like Andres Nocioni and Carlos Delfino and guys that haven't been in the NBA in eight and nine years, but they can still play. So when you put them in the right situation, they're still really effective. So I get to a certain extent that, you know, the NBA is the NBA, but I do understand what DeAndre's saying. I get the fact that, you know what? You got to look at it. At, it's the Olympic Games. It's 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 what the longest running uh, sport competition in the history of time. It'll be there forever if if you know if we don't ruin it with the IOC, uh, you know, underhanded money laundering and whatnot. But but it's it's a completely different stage. I mean, it it is the biggest stage, and the NBA is is known throughout the world. But it's just not it's not a gold medal. It's an it's it's fantastic. It's amazing. But I I understand where Melo is coming from, as I do DeAndre. And you know what? You can't. How can you tell somebody that they're wrong in 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 their judgment and their thinking? That's just that's that's immoral. You can't do that. Stop telling people what they can and can't do, especially when it comes to what they feel. It's ridiculous. Yeah, that, that's what I'm saying, and I, I believe somebody made the analogy. Someone came up to a you know a radio show host or a journalist and said, "Is the Peabody Award better than such and such award?" It's like you can't you can't tell someone outside of your career field 
what to value more. And I believe we make the mistake of putting our judgment on these players to say, no, this is how you should feel. And I believe DeAndre, DeAndre Jordan obviously feels that a gold medal is above an NBA championship. And that's, that's for him. And, and, and good for him. If, if they win, good for him. If, if the Clippers win one and he actually gets an NBA championship, maybe he'll be able to compare the two. But right now he has, I believe he has neither. So yeah. uh, let's just wait to see what the USA men's basketball team does before we make any judgment. Because as we know, they struggled in, at the end of the preliminary rounds. They did trash Argentina. But again, we have to see what goes on. And if he wins a gold medal, I'll be happy for him. I don't think the Clippers are going to win an NBA title this year, so maybe part of it is he knows he's not going to win one. But as for Melo, uh, Stephen A. Smith had to apologize to him because he took him out of contact because he made it seem, basically made it seem like Melo said, I, I really don't care too much about an NBA championship. I, you know, I'm focused on this gold medal, which is far from the truth of what he said. If you read the whole context, his interview with Mark Stein of ESPN, he basically said, and I reiterate this, if I don't win an NBA championship, I'm fine with a gold medal. And I'm fine with that. Because I agree with him, and we and Mike pretty much agrees with that. We need to we again we need to stop putting our own projections on other people and whatever they value, good for them. Absolutely, and that is it for open mic. Coming right back, we're building momentum. We're gonna talk Al Jazeera, baby. That's what it's about. Be right back. It's now time for building momentum. Brazil's situation with these swimmers is a lot like Roger Goodell trying to get these four NFL players to meet with them and the investigation into Al Jazeera. Because maybe you got some information, maybe you've got a, a, a grainy a grainy tape at a gas station late night in Rio, and you wanna pin you wanna pin what what has been a story quite a while in the news. Even one that might have been recanted by the person who wrote it, you want to pin the blame on somebody. But for some reason, Roger Goodell still still is adamant about that these guys may or may not have done something. But it's the word of a man who is no longer employed. So I quite I don't really understand Mo what why Roger Goodell is out for blood. And I really think, and, and a lot of NFL circle, people in the NFL circles are saying this, is that his time as commissioner, is it has to come to an end because it's kind of like uh, Vladimir Putin or Joseph Stalin. He, he's getting out of control right now, and he thinks that he is, he's the, I am the law. That's a Stallone reference. He thinks that he is Judge Dredd, and I don't quite understand how they can keep him in his, his current stead any longer. Well, as this has been talked about to death, but the CBA basically gave him the power to be judge and jury. So, it's, it's their own fault. They agreed to this. So, if, if you're going to complain, if anyone's going to complain about Goodell's power, it's the players, but they, they put him in that position. Okay, so work, now, work stoppage then? Is that, what, is that what's coming before the next CBA? Well, if you if you don't want this guy to have the ultimate power over, over your, you know, your jurisdiction, then I guess that may have to be put on the table. Of course, a deal would eventually come in, but it, you can't have your cake and eat it too. It's either a lockout or, or, or Goodell becomes this ultimate deity power. But basically what he's doing, he's trying to protect the, the integrity of the game. And I, I get that part of it. And he doesn't want any loose ends out there to say, hey, these players that were on the Al Jazeera report, did they use? Now, we all know Peyton Manning was cleared, but there were four other players, uh, Clay, Clay Matthews, Mike Neal, Julius Peppers, James Harrison, were also on that report, and, and their names weren't cleared. So you have to understand that he's trying to protect the integrity of the game, 
and he doesn't want that question out there. Did these these players could have used PDs? So he, I, again, I'm not saying he deserves all of this power, but I get what he's doing. Now, a report came out recently. Jason Cole Bleacher Report said these players can eventually sue for what's happening. I, I don't know how that's going to follow through. But um, basically, he, you know, Al Jazeera has some credibility. And even though it was, it was deemed incredible, Charlie Sly, as you said, is no longer employed. He was an intern there, I believe, over the Peyton Man situation. These players are going to meet with Goodell, and they're going to clear their names because if they don't, by August 25th, they're going to face an indefinite suspension on the 26th. So it makes sense. If he didn't do anything, you know, just report and, and go through the process. He hated to love it. Go through it because you're, if you're the Packers, especially, I mean, their owner said that he'll stick, he'll, he'll support his players. But if you're Clay Matthews and Julius Peppers, who were one and two in the sacks department for that team last year, you need to clear your name so you can get on the field in September. What? But why does the NFL continue to drag their feet? I mean, Tom Brady, you waited up until the eleventh hour, you pushed it a year, and then you decided to, you know, stick with the four game suspension. Why are we waiting almost? It'll be a week and a half, two weeks before the start of this season. I mean, it just doesn't seem right that we're that we're postponing the inevitable up until you're gonna say, "All right, here's an ultimatum: either you're gonna you're gonna come in or you're suspended." Tom Brady, we're either gonna find you by a grand jury that you're guilty or or you're not. But you're waiting until the eleventh hour, and it just seems like you're putting everybody at a disadvantage, at least when it comes to the players that are employed by these teams. Why not speed the process up? Well, there, there's background information here. Uh, apparently, the players were supposed to have been met with the league offices, but they stiffed the league, basically, and they, they dragged their players, dragged their feet, said, not said, but they basically, you know, uh, in a silent manner, said, we, we're not interested in meeting with the league. We didn't do anything. And as you know, James Harrison posted an Instagram photo saying, if Goodell wants to interview me, he has to come to my house. I'm not going to that dude's house. That dude seems a little unhinged. I don't want to face-to-face with James Harrison at any point in my life. But uh, the NFL didn't like the fact that these players dragged their feet on a meeting with the league office. So that's when the deadline came in for the 25th because they said they want to get this straightened out before the season starts, I believe, on, on the 8th and the 11th. But uh, the league just doesn't want to be ignored. And if they want answers to their questions... You best not ignore them because then you'll get hit with a suspension. And it was pretty funny. I was watching Fox Sports, and they had a little skit, and they and basically had a list of all the things you can get suspended for under Goodell. And they had basically a laundry list of things. If you don't return his text messages, you're going to get suspended. If you don't bring his, his daughter back from prom at a certain time, you're going to get suspended. And it was pretty funny. Uh, it just goes along with the idea that he has way too much power. But again... Uh, the players didn't negotiate this out during the CBA agreement. So if, if they're hating it now, once the next CBA comes up, they they need to change this. But another funny thing, an unnamed player said, and this is a starting player in the league, an unnamed player said that he wants to punch Goodell in the face. And I found that pretty funny because it takes me back to Herm Edwards' quote at a post-game press conference when he said, if you're going to say something, put your name yeah, on it. Yeah, exactly. Put your name on it. If I don't know who it is. If it's Joe Flacco, if it's if it's Tom Brady himself, if it's I don't know if Julius Peppers or Von Miller, whoever's saying it, should have put their name on it because I mean, what is he gonna do? If you, it, I mean, I'm sure 90 percent of the players want to punch Goodell in the face anyway. Yeah. 
So you wouldn't be alone on this quote. So whoever that unnamed player is, please step forward because I, I want to shake your hand for being a man and put your name to the quote. <laughs> Will a real Slim Shady please stand up? Please stand up. I mean, you can't, get, you can't get suspended for saying I would like to. It's not like he said, I'm going to come to your house and I'm going to beat you in front of your wife. It's not like he said that, okay? So put some stank on it. Put some respect on my name, homie. Now, Mo, you're Mr. Monday night, Mr. Sunday afternoon, a lot of different days. Who, in your idea, has a worse quarterback situation, the San Francisco 49ers or the Cleveland Browns? I, I would have to say the San Francisco 49ers by far. We're going to talk about RG3 and his his revival later. Revival, but, question uh, mark. But the situation is pretty odd. He shows up. He, he, doesn't, he doesn't practice for training camp. He doesn't play in the first preseason game. He's uncertain for the second preseason game, I believe, because he has "quote unquote" dead arm. What? That's and a baseball then, thing. That's a, that's a that's a baseball thing. Like, yeah, what? Well, you, you gonna put him on a pitch count? Like, what are you gonna do? You gonna bring him out of the bullpen? I'm. Well, <laughs> Colin Kaepernick. I mean, to me, he just seems disinterested. Yeah. And I talked about this in previous shows where his name was connected to other teams. There's a rumor that he wanted to play for the Jets when Ryan Fitzpatrick was holding out and growing out his beard. There's a rumor that, not a rumor, but it was reported that he met with John Elway when the Denver Broncos had their quarterback situation and they lost Brock Osweiler. So apparently he didn't want to be there. I don't see how that changes with Chip Kelly. Uh, Chip Kelly seems interested in reviving Blaine Gabbert. Go figure on that one. Mm. But a lot of people saying, well, Colin Kaepernick fits Chip Kelly's system because he, you know, he's a dual-threat quarterback. I'm going to talk about the whole dual-threat quarterback concept next but people think oh Colin Kaepernick can run and pass so he fits Chip Kelly's system and people don't realize that Chip Kelly values accuracy and I know Colin Kaepernick had his golden years under Jim Harbaugh but that hasn't gone well since Tom Sula didn't go well so I believe Gabbert came in and he said look if this guy is going to sit out with injury have all these rumors I'm going to come in I'm going to play football I'm going to try to have a second breath of my career and players have been quoted to say is Blaine Gabbert is the guy right now. He he came in and he wants to be with the team. He's shown it. He's shown it on the field. He has he's been in the league for some time and he shows some some leadership skills in the huddle. Whereas Kaepernick is kind of on the outside. He's kind of the black sheep. And if you follow reports on Kaepernick, it's been reported that he's he's basically the outsider. He's not really with the team. He's kind of standoffish. And if you're the quarterback of a team and you gotta rally troops and you want guys to follow you. Those aren't the qualities you want in a starting quarterback, and I believe Blaine Gabbert is going to win the starting job, and he's Kaepernick is probably going to sit the season, and they're probably going to release him to avoid that injury clause to pay him all of that money, and we'll see Kaepernick in another jersey next year. I'm surprised we didn't see him in a new jersey this year. I mean, the trade deadline hasn't passed, so it can still happen, but I don't see Colin Kaepernick getting his job back. Uh, Chip Kelly is, is, is the guy who is pretty arrogant himself, he feels that he can fix a quarterback. He's going to go through with it. And he's going to say, well, these people failed Blaine Gabbard. I'm going to bring him from the grave, and I'm going to make him a star. So, you, so you're saying Blaine Gabbard doesn't have a chance? I, I don't like Blaine Gabbard as a starting quarterback, but Chip Kelly is the guy who says, I'm going to try. The San Francisco 49ers are going to be a bad football team. They'll probably go 4-12, 5-11. They'll probably beat the Los Angeles Rams twice and you know maybe the Philadelphia Eagles. But other than that... It, quarterback situation is not good don't put your faith in the Blaine Gabbert I know he had a high pass completion percentage last year he finished off well he and Kaepernick split the season they both played eight games and Blaine Gabbert's stats were a lot better 
Yeah, I pretty much see Blaine Gabbert throwing a lot of interceptions. Uh, Chip Kelly's going to probably have to dig in the bag. Maybe they'll switch into another quarterback. Who knows? But the 49ers will finish at the bottom of the barrel, and they'll have to start over at the quarterback position eventually. It won't be Callan Kaepernick, and it won't be Blaine Gabbert in 2017. Boom. And we were just talking about a little Al Jazeera information, and it comes out report right now that uh, Philadelphia Philly slugger Ryan Howard and Washington Nationals first baseman Ryan Zimmerman were uh, cleared of any wrongdoing stemming from an Al Jazeera PED report. So that's got to be a good sign for the four men about to be questioned by Roger Goodell. Yeah, I mean, this Al Jazeera thing, they're they're batting, what, 0 for 3 it's, now? What is it, TMZ? It's TMZ right now. It might even be worse. It might be like one of them like grocery store tabloid fodder things. I mean, their, their credibility has got to be destroyed at this point. Anything that comes out of Al Jazeera now, you got to question with a raised eyebrow. So. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're... Again, as you said, it's good for, for the players that are going to meet with Goodell. Again, if they did, if they weren't guilty of anything, uh, great. Then, then they'll go into the NFL League offices, and they'll be cleared eventually, and they'll be able to play. Now, if one of those guys did do something wrong, and it gives Al Jazeera some credibility, then we're like, eh, cause, because someone brought up the point, well, what if one of them did use PDs? Yeah, well, it's kind of like shooting fish in a barrel. Like, oh, we got one out of 453. Like, big deal. I mean, honestly, like, I can you can make an erroneous claim from time to time and get lucky. But, I mean, Al Jazeera, their TV, their TV station went off the air. So it's, if this keeps up, it's going to be their, uh, you know, their internet portal. And uh, I don't know if they print any actual newspapers, but it's certainly not looking good. Yeah, the credibility is not looking good. But uh, we have a college football star, Deshaun Watson, who says there's no credibility to the dual threat quarterback concept on his game. And to that, I say, well, he threw for four. 4,109 passing yards, 35 TDs, ran for 1,105 yards, rushing yards, and 12 TDs last year. So you are what your statistics say you are, and that sounds like a dual-threat quarterback to me. Now, he had a problem because he feels like the dual-threat quarterback label was slapped on African-American quarterbacks automatically. And I, and I, to, to an extent, I agree with him because it almost seems like you expect a, a black quarterback to be able to move in the pocket at least have mobility. Maybe he's not a running quarterback, but have some mobility. But if you look at guys like Steve McNair, David Garrard, Dante Culpepper, Warren Moon, these guys, they were they didn't have much mobility. I mean, they weren't they definitely weren't dual threat quarterbacks. McNair and Garrard could move in the pocket, but as far as Dante Culpepper and if you go way back with Warren Moon, Warren Moon was not he was not mobile in the pocket. So uh they're looking at your tape, Deshaun Watson, and they're saying, hey, over 1,000 rushing yards, that sounds like a dual-threat quarterback to me. For him, I would say if you want to be known as a pocket-passing quarterback, stay in the pocket and throw the ball, don't run the ball. But take it as a compliment because in today's day when you got Cam Newton, Russell Wilson, RG3 trying to make a comeback, and, and they're labeled dual-threat quarterbacks, take it as a compliment because I believe Mike Vick set the standard when he came into the league and he was running all over the place. Now, I wouldn't compare every black quarterback to Michael Vick, but when people saw Michael Vick run around, and obviously he's African-American, it just set the standard for, for quarterbacks behind him. Deshaun Watson may be the Heisman favorite this year. He may be the best college football player that we've seen in a long time. But he needs to stay in school because he needs to learn how to work Google. Uh, because I just did a quick search on dual-threat quarterback. And let me tell you some really interesting tidbits that I'm sure Deshaun didn't know. The number three all-time rushing quarterback is Steve Young. Number four, Fran Tarkenton. Number seven, John Elway. All white, okay? Let me also tell you, Johnny Manziel, Aaron Rodgers, who 
is probably hands down the best quarterback all around in the NFL. Andrew Luck, Marcus Mariota, Blake Bortles, and Alex Smith. Now, to claim that it's a slap in the face because you're black and you think that all black quarterbacks are labeled dual threat, well, Mo just proved that to be incorrect. Now, I'm here to tell you that that is also the case that he's trying to make is completely false because what they're actually saying is dual quarterback basically means that your legs are better than your arm. Okay, because we don't technically claim Aaron Rodgers or Andrew Luck or Ben Roethlisberger as dual threat because they can throw the ball 40 times in the end zone, 4,000 times through the air. But technically, Aaron Rodgers, one of the best runners in the league, as is Andrew Luck. They don't need to. They can when they need to pick up 11 yards on a third down when they need to pick up two yards on a fourth down in the end zone. They they. But look at the men that I just named. They're all white. Uh, Marcus Mariota, Hawaiian. I mean, give me a break with this black thing that it's, uh, oh, white guys are not named this. Black guys are all runners. Dude, just be a quarterback. You're not in the league yet, and you're already pinning yourself as the victim. Step back and realize that it's not about that all the time. And this goes back to exactly what we were talking about with Ellen DeGeneres. It's it's not about it race 24-7, 365. Once in a while, if you look at the information that is presented in front of you and realize that, holy crap, Steve Young, one of the greatest quarterbacks of all time, was a dual threat quarterback. The number three all-time in rushing yards for a quarterback was a white guy. Okay? So I just I have such an issue after a while, like just not everything is about race. It's about the game. Okay? If you if you can throw the ball, you're you're a pass you're a pocket quarterback. If you can run the ball, you're a, a dual threat quarterback. But if you can do both, you're a dual threat. What is the problem with being a dual threat quarterback? I'll take John Elway's uh two Super Bowls being going six times over somebody that never did it that was just a quote unquote pocket passer, wouldn't you? Yeah, I, I would too. And one thing I will say is maybe he's been exposed to, you know, he plays for Clemson, which is South Carolina. Maybe he's been exposed to that talk where coaches call African-American quarterbacks, dual quarterbacks, you don't know. But as far as I'm going to say, and you, and you said it, is I don't see what the problem, first of all, I don't see what the problem being labeled dual threat quarterback is, especially when you ran for over 1,000 yards last year. You know, so it, I, don't, I just don't get that. It's not a it's, to me, it's a compliment, especially yeah. with those statistics. And as you said, you just, you just rattle off a bunch of, of white guys and one Hawaiian who are also dual threat quarterbacks. And I just feel like people are very, you got to understand, Deshaun Watson is 20 years old. So he's in that generation where everything is very, where we live in a society right now where race plays a big part in a lot of conversations. And people say we need to have these race conversations. But sometimes, as I said earlier with, with Ellen DeGeneres, sometimes it really doesn't apply. And this, in this situation, his statistics, and I say this for like the fifth time in this conversation, his statistics show that, yes, he is a dual-threat quarterback. He can throw and he can run. I, again, I don't see what the problem is. We'll see how he pans out this year at Clemson. Uh, Clemson will probably be in the Final Four with Alabama. Might get, a, might get a repeat championship game. We'll see when he becomes in the NFL, but I guarantee you the scouts will say dual-threat quarterback, whether he likes it or not. Unfortunately, he, doesn't want to sh- he wants to probably shed the label. What he should do is he shouldn't worry too much about what they're saying and what label they're placed on him. Just play the game, as you said. And I believe he said that in his quote. He said he's just going to play the game to his best ability. And if if he has an opening to run, he should take off and run. He shouldn't have that 
oh, I don't want to be a dual-threat quarterback, so I'm not going to run type of thing. He needs to play his whatever whatever's best at the moment in the pocket. If it's throw the pat or run the ball, do it and get the win for your team. Don't worry about the background noise. Yeah, what are you going to – are you going to Dan Marino it out of bounds when you could have ran for the three extra yards and you decided, nah, I can't run. I don't want to take the hit. Tyrod Taylor just got $80 million because he's a dual-threat quarterback. Because he's yep. the because he's the best quarterback that uh, Buffalo has had since Jim Kelly. That's why he's getting paid, not because he's uh, worried that someone's gonna think that he's a dual threat quarterback. God forbid. Like, just annoying. I know he's twenty, but you know what? 20. He's in college. Learn something. Yeah. Re- Mike, 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 like like Cardell Jones says, some players they don't go to play college. Yeah, that's a shame. Also, that's a shame. We are, we are a decade older than him, so maybe as he gets older and he matures, maybe he'll look back at that statement and take it back or rethink it. But as far as it goes right now, he's 20. Let him mature, and we'll see what he is once he comes into the league. Yeah, I just hope the mentors around him, the coaches, the teachers, the professors, you know, can enlighten him a little bit and, you know... Because otherwise, like you said, you're going to school just to play football. And, you know, football ends. Football ends one day. So I hope you invest your money well. Yes. Speaking of investments, the NBA pulled, as you know, they pulled out pulled out the All-Star game out of uh, Charlotte, North Carolina. And they're pulling it into New Orleans for the third time in, I believe, the last eight years. They had it in 2008. They had it in 2014 in New Orleans. I will say this. Me and Mike had our suggestions for where it should go. Uh, Mike said Orlando because of the recent happenings. I said maybe you know, have it in New York or Orlando. And I, I like this idea of having it in New Orleans only because of the recent happenings. There were deadly floods in Louisiana. Four trillion, trillion gallons of rain. That's 25 inches of rain over the last three days. Uh, 75% of the homes in Livingston Parish, which is in Louisiana, uh, lost to floods. So, uh, you know, festive, a festive uh, city. And uh, a state that's going through hardships right now. So I don't have a problem with it. NBA is supposed to be fun. NBA All-Star Game is supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be a fun event. Don't have a problem with it being in New Orleans. Yeah, no. I mean, there's a reason why the Super Bowl continues to go back. There's a reason why the All-Star Game in the NBA. There's a reason why the Sugar Bowl is one of the the granddaddy of them all bowl games. I mean, obviously, it's a great city. uh, You know, are going through some rough times. Hopefully, this will help, you know, reinvigorate the economy come, uh, come next winter. But, uh, yeah, I mean, you can't say anything negative about New Orleans. It's a great city, and, you know, they, they get what, they get the game. They deserve it. So let's hope, let's pray for all those people there and uh, for a swift recovery. And speaking of swift, I believe Taylor Swift donated a large sum of money, a couple millions of dollars, uh, to the good people of New Orleans. So pat on the back for Taylor. I still think your uh, music is not my flavor of the day, but good for you. Mike, you don't like music that uh, talks about people's love lives and maybe take shot at old boyfriends and girlfriends. That's not your thing. I mean, hey, I'm I'm as bitter as the next person, but yeah, keep it to yourself. I mean, she's making a hell of a career off of ex boyfriends. So, uh, like I said, if I had the opportunity, I would um, I would take her on a date and wine and dine her just to say I did it. Just if I was single, uh, paraphrase. But uh, but you know yeah. what? That's uh, it's neither here nor there. So good luck, Tom Hiddleston. If you don't know who that is, he is uh, from the movie Thor. He may be the next James Bond. He may also be marrying her. So good grief, man! Go back to England while you still can. Or he may be in the next song. Who knows? But, uh, uh, <laughs> very, very possible. She's already, she's actually already wrote like wrote the song. It's just like waiting on her MP3 player. So as soon as they break up, bam, she sends it to the record label. I mean, she's quick. 
She's quick. Yeah, you, you got that right. Yeah. But uh, speaking of someone who's not going to be quick. No. Never was quick. No. More powerful than quick. Giancarlo Stanton, a.k.a. Mike Stanton, is injured again. Gosh. I believe this is the fourth time out of five seasons he's missing significant time. By the way, he has a 13-year, $325 million contract. Very smart. Very now, smart. Now, I know, you know, the baseball, uh, the MLBPA is very strong, but quick question. I know that the news is that he's injured again, but... Why these huge deals for these players? I mean, Stanton is going to be 39 when this contract ends. Is that necessary? Like, can't we just go for, like, seven years and see how he is at the seven years? Why don't we have to go with a 13-year contract? It's so funny. I was just talking about this maybe an hour ago with my dad, how, you know, it's crazy how MLB is the only sport that doesn't have a salary cap, and it never will because MLB has been around forever and, and the, the players will never agree to, to a salary cap, you know, especially, you know, I know the collective bargaining agreement is coming up in a year or so, and it's just something that they're never going to go for. But like, I mean, it's insane. This guy, yeah, I get it. He's got all the potential in the world. He's still a relatively young man and he's, he is the, the Miami Marlins to a certain extent. Yes. They're, they're playing above their heads. They're, you know, they're right there in the wild card chase this year. Uh, but I mean, he cannot stay on the field. He played 74 games last year. Okay, I know he got hit in the face, and that was something devastating. And he, but he came back this year, batting 244, 25 homers, and 70 RBIs. But he, I mean, if you can't earn your money because you can't stay on the field, why would you pay a guy? And I know it's, well, well he's got all this potential. If he ever does play 162 games, he can hit 70 home runs. But that's a huge if at this point. He's only getting older, plays right field. He's a very good defender, and he goes all out, which is great, which is all you can ask for from a player. But come on, he's injury prone. I mean, if the Marlins ever want to get out of this contract, they're going to have to eat three quarters of it. I mean, I mean, I, no team is going to say, yeah, 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 give me Giancarlo and I'll, we'll eat $200 million of his deal. I mean, it's absurd. He's going to end his career in Miami, which is exactly what he probably wanted. And, you know, no fault of his own. Heck, yeah, you're going to throw $300 million at me. I'm going to take it. But the Miami Marlins are just way in over their heads right now. And if you watch his swing, and this is a groin injury, and last year, uh, even before he got hit in the face, he had a uh, hand and wrist injury. He actually broke his hand from swinging violently. You'll see that when he swings. He has like this weird hitch like he hits the ball and then he like violently rips through it It's not a smooth swing like Barry Bonds used to be Ken Griffey Jr. Or you know guys of that ilk It's more of like he gets he makes impact with the bat with the ball and he like twists everything and yeah That's violent that's gonna put a strain on your arm your hands your groin your legs everything that he I mean He's a powerful man. He's he's built like a Greek god, but his bones are brittle like like while young Maurice Moton. I mean they're just he didn't drink his milk. So clearly my man's got some osteoporosis issues because he just I don't know I don't know what they're gonna do with him. I I mean how do you tell a guy to not play at a hundred percent? You can't do it. All you can do is hope for the best, but I mean what's the the last time he played more than hundred and sixteen games was two thousand thirteen. Uh, I mean we're going on four years now, so uh, I feel bad for the Marlins, uh, but again, it is what it is. You, you, you're going to dance with the devil, you're going to pay the devil, and unfortunately you give somebody $325 million and you stuck like Chuck. But maybe they have some kind of insurance policy on him. Uh, I surely hope so because he's not, this isn't going to end his career. It's a growing thing, but it's definitely going to end his season. And I, unfortunately, I don't see the Marlins really... If they make the playoffs, don't see them going any further than that wild card game because you know, this guy was a huge part of their offense. Even in a down year, he still had twenty five home runs. So. 
first of all, Mike, I, I drank a lot of milk when I was a kid. Didn't I, work. I was Didn't work. When I was a kid, okay? Yeah, sure. Strong bones at all times. Second of all, you talked about Giancarlo's swing, and, uh, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, mm. isn't Barry Bonds the hitting coach in Miami? Yeah, yes. Can he, he fix is. this? Can he fix, you know, kind of structure his swing or make it so that it's less violent, so that he endures less injuries? Well, he certainly he certainly should, and that's what he is getting paid for. Uh, I mean, I know lefty, righty, it's a, it's a bit different, the mechanics of the swing. Uh, but yeah, he. Um, this is gonna be Gar- This is gonna be Barry's iota. He is going to have to do everything in his power this off season to to simplify uh, the mechanics of his swing. And I know that he did in this past off season. They worked on on Mike. Mike, I always call him Mike. Giancarlo, uh, not tensing up so much at the plate and taking less pressure off those wrists and hands. So that that worked. We he's gotten that. But unfortunately, every year it's something else with, with Stan. Look, you can't you can't factor in him getting hit in the face with a ninety nine mile an hour fastball. That's a freak injury. But the groin, the leg, the arm, the hands. These are these are things that can be can be fixed but again okay so we fixed the groin this year and next year it's a lower back injury it's an upper back it's just with this guy it's just something it's it's something every season and and you know i i love the guy i love to watch his game and you know if you play fantasy baseball he's a surefire first round pick but not anymore it's like a Le'Veon bell situation how do you take a guy in a first round when you almost guarantee that he's going to get hurt to some extent be it a week a month a season it's just too it's too much it's too much jeopardy. It's too much risk to put yourself in as a as a fantasy player, let alone as a owner of the New, of the Miami Marlins at a thirteen year contract. I, I, he's he's going to be getting paid, unfortunately, long after I think he has stopped playing this game, a la Bobby Bonilla with the New York Mets. It's just one of those things that there's no way that at this rate he's going to play till he's thirty nine. Not going to happen. So. so- at what point do you think the Miami Marlins start to regret this 13-year contract uh, if they do at any point? About last week. I mean, how do you not? I mean, this look, you got D. Gordon back after a 50-game suspension for PEDs. You were right in the nick of it. Uh, you were like, I think they were three games out of a wild card spot or maybe even less uh, about a week ago. They've faltered since then. You're getting Gordon back, your leadoff hitter. He makes your team go. Stanton not having a great year, and you're, and you're still waiting for him to come around. Started to put it together. And all of a sudden, he goes down. And it's just, I, I hate the home run derby because of that. He hit, what, a million home runs in San Diego during the home run derby all-star break? And you don't tell me that hitting all those home runs doesn't put stress on a person's body. I mean, he was clubbing them out at a rate like we've never seen before. He hit more home runs than some guys hit in a season. And, and you don't think that, that that has anything to do that's going to hurt his leg, his arm? His groin, yeah, yeah, it's stress. No one purposely goes up to hit a home run, if, and if they tell you they do, they're lying. It goes out because of hand-eye coordination, a powerful swing, and good timing. But it's totally different in a home run derby. And look, look what happened. Bryce Harper, he's struggling too. So I, I hope it's not a thing with these young guys who came up and that could you know revitalize the game. But it also could be an epidemic where all of a sudden we we don't see the full potential of these young players for whatever reason. But you know that's just the thing about injuries, man. You can only you can only mask them for so long until it just becomes one thing after the other, and and you're three hundred million dollars in debt. Yeah, I mean. <laughs> What I say about this whole situation, just to put a ball on it, is is you know MLB teams need to start leasing these players and stop yeah. giving these long contracts. But uh, speaking of leasing and and contracts and new life, we'll talk about RG three, a new tattoo, and life in Cleveland. That's up next in the wrap up. A 
the wrap-up. Mike, uh, hypothetical question. If you were getting divorced, which you which you won't, let's just say hypothetically speaking, though, if you were getting divorced and you had a new girlfriend and you're going to a new football town, number one, would you envision yourself throwing touchdown passes to Terrell Pryor? And number two, would you get your new girlfriend's name tatted on your forearm? Uh, I would hope to do neither of those two things, uh, but I certainly wouldn't tattoo a girlfriend's name on my arm, regardless uh, if I was in a bad relationship, which we've come to understand that a certain quarterback in Cleveland is currently getting a divorce from his wife. Yes. Uh, if you guys haven't been in the news, RG3 is getting a divorce from his uh, former wife now, and he has a new girlfriend, Greta Sudeiko. Who? And he has her name what? tatted on his forearm. Now, first of all, I'll say that at least they both got their name. They both have matching tattoos. Apparently, they went to a tattoo parlor in Cleveland. They both have each other's names on their bodies. Gonna, I don't know where Greta's tattoo is. I won't ask. Gonna end, it's going to end so poorly for, for both of them. <laughs> but <laughs> as Mike said, you do not tattoo a girlfriend no. or boyfriend's name on you, no. okay? Because, number one, that could end pretty poorly. Very poorly, actually, because we, as we all know, things happen. I'm not, I'm not wishing bad on anyone's relationship, but as we all know, things happen over the years and you start to feel a certain way about each other and you may may part ways, whether it be amicable or not. But RG3 is obviously all in, but I will say this, he, it didn't take him long to get a tattoo yeah. on his body after, I mean, his divorce isn't even finalized yet. And it has me thinking maybe this girl was in his life before the divorce. Maybe it's the reason for the divorce. I'm not going to speculate on that. I am not TMZ Sports. But you just did. What's that? But you just did, so continue. Yeah, yeah, that's very true. But I'm not confirming anything. I am not a reporter. I'm just a guy on a podcast radio show. But I will say that it's pretty much that you would get this tattoo that quickly after it. Yeah. While the divorce is going on. Totally, yeah. I mean, Greta, Greta Sadiko. Um, I, I hope she's pretty because that name is terrible. Uh, I would just call her, yo, what up, girl? What up, G? What up, what up Greta? I mean... Uh, she's actually pretty pretty attractive. Is she? Yeah, well, I don't doubt it. You know, RG3's got some money and he does like look like the love child of Michael Jackson and Liza Minnelli. So, I mean, there, there's that. Um, I just think there's so many bigger problems as the Cleveland Browns than, than worrying about your, your maybe starting quarterback getting a tattoo. But you know what? This is what the Cleveland Browns are all about, baby. If we're gonna if we're gonna have a bad season, we might as well talk about something ridiculous because Ty, Tyrod Taylor I don't know Tyrod Tyrod they wish they had Tyrod Taylor Tyrod Tyrod what is his name? Terrell Pryor. <laughs> Laura would hate you for this because you can't get a guy. I think I mixed up with the Buffalo Bills quarterback. Hey, hey, they, like I said, they wish they had the Buffalo Bills quarterback. But, um, yeah, Terrell Pryor, um, Gary Barnage is probably their best player, and he's a tight end, and he, I think he went to Louisville. So, I mean, there's not much to get really excited about. Terrence West, who joins the knucklehead of the month club uh, this year with, with what he did, they say he's running well. Doesn't really matter. Uh, Duke Johnson, yeah, I mean, he, he had like four nice games in 2015. I mean, there's just not a lot to get excited about. Josh Gordon, he'll be back after four games. Let's see if he stays clean. I mean, I, I, the Cleveland Indians are playing well still, and you've got the you've got the uh, you know the Cavs to to fall back on, but 
yeah, I just I don't get it. I don't know what they're trying to do. Hugh Jackson was a great hire, but you're tr- what are you doing with these Baylor guys? Like the Baylor boys are just I mean, do, have we learned nothing from what went on at Baylor in the last couple of seasons? Like, should we not steer clear of that situation at all? Yeah, I mean, I, I like the whole Baylor boys thing they got going. They got RG3 at the quarterback, Josh Gordon and Corey Coleman at wide receiver. And Spencer Drago, who could start on the offensive line. Gordon, as you said, will, you know, he'll serve a four-game suspension, but I think he'll be pretty good once he once he uh, gets back on the field. He is dealing with a quad injury. He can play in the preseason even though he's suspended. He just can't uh, practice in the week leading up to their uh, regular season opener. I think Corey Coleman is going to be pretty decent. So RG3 has some weapons that can go around with uh, Gary Barnage. But as far as uh, Cleveland is concerned, it, it, it's like you hope this is not another uh, bonehead quarterback thing going with the tattoo. Of course, it's his body. He can do whatever he wants. But when, you, when you're coming off the hills of a Johnny Manziel who's made a lot of, a lot of questionable decisions off the field, you hope that RG3 at least has his head on straight. Of course, his love life is, is his own business. But uh, you, you would hope that at least he and Terrell Pryor form a good duo at the beginning of the season because, as I said, Josh Gordon will miss the first four games. And Corey Coleman is still a rookie. Even though he is going to be a promising uh, player in this league, he is still a rookie. He has to learn how to play in an NFL offense after playing in the spread offense at Baylor. But Terrell Pryor, Laura's boy, he, he's been playing pretty well. He had a 50-yard catch yesterday, a 50-yard bomb from RG3, and RG3 was looking like the RG3 of old when he won Offensive Rookie of the Year, and it's looking good for Terrell Pryor. I'm happy for him because it said that he works hard. I know he played for the Raiders, and a lot of Raiders fans liked him because they said he worked hard at what he did. He just wasn't a good quarterback, and he needed to change his position. And it looks like he's found his calling at wide receiver. Again, I hope it works out for him. He's been in, he's been the number one receiver through the first uh, two preseason games, and I think he's gonna he's gonna be a big part of that offense coming in the upcoming season. I just hope RG three, his new girlfriend. <laughs> are on good terms because the Cleveland, Cleveland Browns, they need something positive. They need RG3's head on straight. They don't need him worrying about his marriage or his girlfriend off the field, especially with a tattoo on his body. Now, Mike, quick question. Yeah. If the Mike and Mo show gets a 13-year, $325 million Ooh. deal like Giancarlo Stanton, would you get Mike and Mo show tatted on your forearm? I'll get it on my ass. I'll get it on my forehead. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get it wherever. I'll even do... The ESPN presents the Mike and Mo show across my bare chest. Whatever, whatever it takes. And I know that this is now going to live on in infamy. Uh, but yes, yes, I will have no problem doing any of that because I can then pay for it to get laser removed when the day comes, which would probably be like a week later. So uh, good for them. Uh, Greta Sadiko sounds like something you put together at Ikea. So I hope that their relationship goes well. Uh, my question is, didn't Terrell Pryor have a really good season la- preseason last year? And wasn't he still cut? So... I mean, I mean, he came in. He came in, and they said that his his uh, off season was encouraging, but he was still adjusting to a new position. Now this is a, his first full year playing the wide receiver spot. Mm-hmm. So I, I do have high hopes for him. I did watch a lot of his uh, training camp videos that the Cleveland Browns posted on on their official Twitter, and he has hands. Of course, he's he's still learning how to run a route tree because that's not um, that's not natural to him. He was a quarterback though, so he does understand wide receiver routes. That's going to work for him. I just think he's not, of course, he's not going to be a 1,000-yard receiver, 
But it's good to see that he was able to make the transition and still be relevant in this league. Of course, Laura will probably pick him in the third round of her fantasy league because he loves Ohio State people. I would say go ahead and do it. Please but do he's it. only going to give you about maybe, I would say, if I had to guess, maybe three or 400 receiving yards and maybe uh, two touchdowns because he is a tall target, so I believe they will target him near the red zone. Terrible. What about, what about Braxton Miller, another Ohio State former quarterback who who drops more balls than than should be legally allowed in a in a, in a, in a NFL preseason game. What is it, it should we expect him to be a lot better than Terrell Pryor? Not so much better or is this is it just not going to is is he going to be really good? I don't know. I I, I mean, what is your opinion of him? I think he and Terrell Pryor are in the same boat. Obviously Pryor is a little bit further than he is because he has some NFL experience at wide receiver, but they're going to be the guys that you look for on certain design package plays. Like, you're, you're not going to see them as the number one or two receiver on a depth chart. What coaches will do is they'll drop a few plays or a package of plays for them, and they can exploit certain matchups, but they're not going to be consistent wide receivers with high-end high production. So, Will Fuller is there. DeAndre Hopkins is there. So, you know Braxton Miller is not going to get a lot of targets. Brock Eisweiler looked awful in his preseason opener. Yeah. It's going to take him some time to absorb that offense. So, I wouldn't expect... A lot from Braxton Miller. I make less than less than twenty catches, maybe. It's oh. gonna take him a while to make that adjustment. As you said, he is a former quarterback, so he does understand wide receiver routes like prior, but he's a step behind. And they also have Will Fuller, who they drafted in the first round. That's that's their prize wide receiver really. Yeah. It's not Braxton Miller, he's more of an offensive weapon versus a wide receiver like Fuller. So again, uh not much expected from Miller, a little more expected from Pryor and Cleveland, but both will be pretty much uh Gadget, gadget wide receivers. I would call. What about Michael Michael Thomas in New Orleans? Is I th- is he is he maybe the the best Ohio State product that'll play this year? Because we know Joey Bosa ain't playing. <laughs> yeah, as you as you already know, Joey Bosa's on like day one thousand of his holdout. Yeah. But anyway, I'm exaggerating. But uh, yeah, as you said, he's probably going to be the biggest. Uh, uh, Michael Thomas probably going to be the biggest contributor in his rookie year out of Ohio State, unless it's uh, my boy Darren Lee out of out of you know. And Jets camp mm-hmm. reports are that he is playing with the ones of the linebackers, but of course we all know that wide receivers get a lot more press than uh, linebackers stat sheet on the stat sheet. But if you're looking at Ohio State standout, uh, especially this is for Laura her fantasy team, you want to pick Michael Thomas. He's your guy. And after that, it's pretty much meh, you know. But <laughs> Michael Thomas, and I mean he's with he's with Drew Brees, so you got to look at it as look at his quarterback. That team is known for scoring points, putting up a lot of points. They put a 52 on the Giants last year in a, in a, in a pinball game. Yeah. So with with Michael Thomas and the weapons around in New Orleans, he's he's gonna I would say max at about 800 yards, maybe eight touchdowns because the guy is a big he's a big body wide receiver. And he's gonna be he's gonna be very viable near the um, end zone. Speaking of skeptical uh, fantasy picks, Joe Flacco that he says that knee is not near 100 percent. Even when it was he was not so good last year. I mean they didn't have much of an offensive line. Justin Forsett is back, and they say, looking like uh, an, an all pro. I mean we'll see, but uh, do you do you even worry about taking Flacco as a backup, or do you just let him uh, linger on the waiver wire? Actually, if I'm if I'm a team that's picking at the bottom of a round and all the good quarterbacks are taken, I wouldn't mind taking a chance on Flacco only because. He has a really good wide receiving core. Uh, Steve Smith just passed his physical a couple of days ago, and he's ready to play. As you know, when Steve Smith is healthy, he's good for 1,000 yards. 
They're saying Mike Wallace is going to have the best season he's had since his days in Pittsburgh. They got Kamar Aiken, who filled in pretty well last year when Steve Smith went down. So he's going to have a full wide receiving core. I don't see their run game being that great, but Kenneth Dixon, the rookie who they drafted in the fourth round, is also a receiving threat. So if if Flacco says that he, you know, he's not completely healed, but he still has a month, about three weeks to a month away from playing, I wouldn't sweat it too much. Uh, again, he has a he has some weapons around him. I would pick him at the bottom of the round. He shouldn't be ahead of maybe a Eli Manning or a Ben Roethlisberger, or of course not Aaron Rodgers or even Andrew Luck. But if you, if you want to roll the dice on a player who may exceed expectations, you want to go with Joe Flacco. All right, final final question, final fantasy question, because in the next, uh, next show, next two shows, we're going to get in-depth into the NFL projections. Mo's going to hit us up with what he feels is going to happen. And, of course, we'll talk plenty of fantasy football. If you had to choose the last pick in the draft and you you have a mediocre first quarterback, like let's say Matt Stafford, if you had to choose between Joe Flacco and Ryan Fitzpatrick, who do you take? That's a good question. Yeah, um, I'm going to go with Joe Flacco. Oh. <laughs> I know Jets fans are going to hate me for that, but yeah. are you really banking on Ryan Fitzpatrick throwing another 31 touchdowns? I'd mm. say not. No, but if you have Eric Decker or Brandon Marshall or even Matt Forte, you certainly hope so because you need him to. You, you would hope Matt Forte because Matt Forte has had some, I believe it's, leg issues, knee issues, ankle issues, something, and he's missed some practices, and they're saying, well, he's going to be ready for week one. I don't doubt that. But it's just I don't see Fitzpatrick mirroring what he did last year, and the Jets might take a step back because they do have a tough schedule coming up in the first six games, so it may be rough for you. If Even if Fitzpatrick ends well, you're, the, the first six weeks of your fantasy league, you're going to be maybe two and four, one and five Laura. if you pick Ryan Fitzpatrick. So you want to go with Joe Flacco. But at least has the weapons around him. And Baltimore is not the same ground-and-pound team they were years ago. They're more of an offensive-oriented team. They're making the switch kind of like the Pittsburgh Steelers, where the Pittsburgh Steelers, you you know, you're going hit, to get hit in the mouth. Now they're more of a passing team, and Baltimore is trying to make the same transition I think they do this year. Yeah, and who knows? Maybe former UCF product Brashad Perriman actually plays this year, you know. Yeah, I, I, I was going to mention him, but I forgot that he missed like his whole rookie year. He still has injury. John Howard Harbaugh has been on record of being frustrated with this guy's injuries. We don't know when he's ever going to play, if he's going to play. He's still on the pup list right now. I don't think he contributes this year behind that wide receiver core. I think it's going to be Mike Wallace and Steve Smith leading the way with Kamar Anki right behind them. Is, is Matt Forte a late first-round pick, or does he fall to – well, is that and is he, is he even a first uh, a running back one anymore? Yeah, I would say he's either a flex or a running back, too, at this point, because he is 30 years old. Yes, I know he's one of the best receiving backs in the game, but you look at, he, he's had a lot of wear and tear with Chicago Bears over the last eight, nine years, so you got to look at look at it that way. I, people give me flack for this, but I think Jason Morrow is going to be a big weapon in the Jets' offense. I, Forte's going to give you something, but he's not going to give you 1,000 yards. He may give you... A thousand yards combined, yeah. maybe about twelve hundred yards combined, pass uh, receiving and running. But he's going to give you about seven hundred yards on the ground. And they already picked up Kyrie Rob- uh, Kyrie Robinson, who's going to be their short yardage back, who's going to steal goal line carries. So he's he's going to get all the touchdowns, not for ten. Yeah, and they still got Bilal Powell coming back as well. So I mean, they've got more than enough running backs. Yep. So that that's that's all your fantasy. A lot of your fantasy knowledge right there. You want to stay away from Jets players unless you're picking up uh, Brandon Marshall or Eric Decker. Stay away from quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick. Stay away from Matt Forte unless unless your hands are tied and 
you need a backup or you need a handcuff type pick to, to, to back up someone who's injury prone, then you go with those players. But do not pick those players, Matt Forte or Ryan Fitzpatrick, in the first round because you're going to ruin your fantasy team. Definitely. So tune in next week. We're going to talk more fantasy football. We're going to tell you why Le'Veon Bell should not be your first overall pick or your second or your third. Um, but, yeah, we're gonna. there's a lot going on in the world of the NFL. This Sunday is going to be closing ceremonies in Rio. Make sure you tune in. Uh, USA Basketball has got two games left to win the gold. Got to play Spain. Uh, so it'll be interesting. Obviously, they came out and they, they put the pedal down, and then look what they did to Argentina. So I think Coach K has got the boys right. I think, uh, I think anything less than a gold will be uncivilized to quote an old commercial from the days and uh yeah mo anything else before we uh, wrap up episode 27 yeah the fantasy football league will be up soon within next show or two i do have i mentioned it briefly if you if you're looking on the mike and mo facebook page i do have my off-season nba rankings up there then i won't tell you what the knicks are but i'll tell you they're in the top half of the league i have some surprises in there so make sure you look at that Take note of where the Minnesota Timberwolves are and take note of where the Denver Nuggets are and where my boy Evan Turner and his Portland Trailblazers are on that rankings list. <laughs> Shout out to Evan Turner. Thanks for the follow. And just a little bit of breaking news. We'll be talking about those Baylor boys. It looks like a graphic video has emerged of Baylor's Ish Zomora violently beating his dog. Uh, he says, I lost my temper. Don't really know. I uh, don't really know what's what's the deal with the with the Baylor football program. It just seems to be out of control. No discipline. Um, whether you're, you're whether you're you're beating animals, people. There's something a lot. There's something really going wrong in Waco, Texas. And you know what? At this point, hate to say it, but drastic measures, shutting down a football program, it almost seems to be uh, something that needs to be discussed because these these players are just they're wilding out, and it's it's not good at all. Yeah, Art Browns, as you know, got fired. He was at a Cleveland Browns uh, practice, and people questioned whether Hugh Jackson should have brought him around those players. And I see it from both sides, where you, you don't want a toxic person around your around your team because of what, what's been going on at Baylor. But you got to understand, a lot of Baylor players play for the Cleveland Browns, so he didn't want to cast them out or leave them out of it. He, you know, he allowed Art Browns to you know see his former players play in practice, which I don't see as a big deal, but. That Baylor community, that area needs needs a total cleansing. I don't know if yeah. it's, I believe it's near Austin, Texas. That area needs a total cleansing. Um, it, it's Sean Oakman was, as you know, was supposed to be a third round pick, and instead he's spending time in a jail cell for what he's what he's uh, been accused or charged of doing. And again, it's a sad situation around that program. They need a total rebuild. I, I'm surprised they haven't gotten a death penalty of some sort because of what's gone on. But it's a de- more developing stories come out. You'll see, I'm sure you'll see an outside the lines report on Baylor and all the things that have happened. It's a laundry list of things. And it's just something we need to clean up in college football. I'm sure it's happening on other campuses, but in Baylor, it just seems like it's, it's there's a pattern there that needs to be expunged. Yeah, it just makes you makes you really believe what, what seems to be more important uh, is football than, than education and, and safety of students on, on a lot of uh, college campuses, and it's it's super prevalent at Waco, Texas. So let's hope something changes soon. Otherwise, um, yeah, who who would go who would go to that school? What kind of student would go to the school and risk risk themselves? I mean, you'd have to you'd have to be really desperate but that's for another time that is episode 27 of course mike and mo show twitter facebook youtube instagram all those places 
Follow, like, share. Tell us what's going on. We'll have the uh, Fantasy Football League up and at them in uh, a couple days. But So make sure you follow us on social media for all that information. As always, I'm Mike Calandrillo. He is Maurice Moten. And we will catch you next week. Thanks for tuning in.